Welcome to Paracusia, an audio fiction podcast with emphasis on horror, sci-fi, and high strangeness. Like what you hear? Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. We are available on iTunes and all your favorite podcast directories. Each episode will feature one individually wrapped fictional dramatization. Now, sit back and let your imagination guide you. The Wall by Christine Savoy The Wall. I've heard about it, and even dreamt about it. I knew what was on the other side. The nightmare beyond the wall. The disease. The rot. The festering flesh beating against the wall like a rhythmic heartbeat. Thousands. No, hundreds of thousands would be there, lined up, clawing to get in, pressed against each other, fusing limbs and flesh like a grotesque orgy. We were getting nearer as the bone-shaking school bus rounded a corner and chugged along a stretch of deserted strip malls. The wall was still not visible, and everyone aboard craned their neck east to see if they could catch a glimpse. The wall was built shortly after the first wave of infection and was the only savior to our existence. There weren't enough bullets or bombs to stop them, and many who actually knew how to use the military weapons were on the front lines, many of whom never made it back, or, quite depressingly, joined the ranks of the enemy. The wall was a solution brought forward by a structural engineer, and with the help of the Army Corps of Engineers, it was set in place like an ancient monument across our state. Some say it was 200 feet high, and others said it would be visible from space, if the space station was still manned by the living, that is. It was rumored to be 12 feet thick, made up of poured concrete and reinforced steel. The passengers on the front of the bus began to cover their faces and turn in disgust. And then the smell of the dead entered the back of the bus where I was sitting alone. The driver slowed and put on a blue and white surgical mask. The smell was sweet and wet, and it immediately brought back memories. Memories none of us wanted to remember, but each of us forgot out of necessity. The bus turned another corner, and the bus driver pointed, and then we saw it. The wall. The one thing that protected us. The one thing that made us human. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't 200 feet high. And it wasn't an impressive engineered cement wall. Well, parts of it were cinder block. But some of it was wooden, or chain link, or a combination of materials. It was only about 15 feet high. On one section of poorly laid cinder block, Graffiti marked the wall with the words, They Live. Through the chain link, several corpses were visible milling about. They must have heard the diesel engine of the bus rumble through the empty neighborhood, and they reacted, stretched their arms and opening their mouths, revealing blackened gums and dark, blood-soaked teeth. Their decaying muscles and tendons were not responding as quickly as I remembered. They hungered for human flesh, but these poor shells of men and women who once lived were nearing the end of their second existence. Some looked away, but others returned the stare of the undead. I just stared at the wall and couldn't help but feel let down. I'm sure everyone on the bus felt that way. 
The bus sped up and turned down a residential street, ignoring stop signs and speeding through school zones. As it turned another corner, it slowed down and came to a stop, and the bus driver turned around and lowered his mask. This is it, folks, he said with a smile. This is Sector 8, the first stop. All those assigned to Sector 8, please exit. I was looking for 237 of Maple Street. My husband Richard and our daughter Danielle had arrived two days prior and were awaiting my homecoming. We were separated before the event. I mean, legally separated. We had our issues, and Richard got custody of Danielle, and I moved back home to my parents. We visited casually, keeping the relationship alive for Danielle, and secretly wishing we were back together. When the United States had fallen, everything changed. Richard and Danielle were separated in the chaos. My parents were ambushed en route to a safe zone by a gang of survivors. Danielle and Richard finally reunited a few weeks later at a security zone constructed by the Red Cross. I was unlucky. I was two states away, and telecommunications were nearly non-existent. Everything happened so fast. The collapse of society took days, maybe even hours. All my friends and co-workers were either displaced, dead, or the living dead. I lost it in those first days, and I was found walking along Interstate 6 by a convoy of Marines on their way to Fort Denton. I was at a convention previous, and all I could remember was being bored. My short-term memory was blank. I had no purpose. When the first wave of the undead pandemic finally subsided, communities began re-establishing government, law, and order. Pockets of survivors banded together and fought back the plague. I found myself drifting among the homeless, the refugees from all four corners of the United States. I had no purpose other than to live. With all I saw, I believed Richard would be dead, and most certainly had no hope for my daughter Danielle to make it through this horror. I struggled and endured a suicidal journey to Denver to see if anything remained of my family. I don't remember much of the journey, as I dared not hold those memories. Upon my arrival at the safe zone in Denver, I was processed by a refugee camp, my skills analyzed, and my usefulness to society weighed. I was told I was going to be a cook at Mercy Hospital. I was also entered into a database and was told my husband was alive and had posted a search bulletin to alert him if I was ever found. The woman who processed me said it was rare, but it did happen. She said that my husband and my daughter are living within Denver's newly developed safe zone and she would apply for my transfer to them as soon as possible. I spoke to Richard and Danielle on the telephone shortly after. I broke down and it took me some time to speak clearly. Richard said he was just assigned to move into a new house with Danielle and said I should come home. He said it in a way that I knew he forgave me and wanted me back. All those assigned to Sector 8, please exit, the driver said, awakening me from a memory. I stood up erect and composed myself and proceeded to the door. It appeared I was the only one in Sector 8 as the other passengers remained seated and were talking amongst themselves about the wall or their new home and lifestyle. I looked out the window and anticipated the row of houses that lined the streets. They were 1970s-style bungalows, not mansions. In a world of one-tenth the previous living population, you could live almost anywhere. Why did Richard choose this neighborhood? We were nobodies, but again, in this world, anyone is a somebody. On this side of the wall, you could have it all. At least, that's what I thought and was told. 
The government still had clever PR folks doing their marketing. Damn them. I saw Richard. He was waiting near the door of a white house with baby blue trim. Danielle was holding his hand, smiling nervously. She was young, now only four, but she still remembered me. I stepped off the bus and started to run toward them. I nearly fell, and Richard caught me and held me close, nearly smothering me. He pushed his face deep into my neck and wept. He let go after several moments, both our cheeks soaked with running tears. I bent down and grasped Danielle. She stepped back before I could embrace her. Mommy, why are you crying? She said innocently. Richard began before she even finished her question. No, honey. Mommy is just happy to see everyone. She reached out towards my hand and paused, her hand open, ready to receive mine. I paused and then reached toward Danielle's hand and immediately she pulled me forward, chattering away about the house. Richard smiled as I looked back, getting swept through the front door, immediately noticing the smell of fresh paint and floor cleaner. I put dandelions in a vase for you on the kitchen table. It's a surprise for you. The house was furnished, sparingly. It appeared as if Richard and Danielle had not done anything, or perhaps had no opportunity to make this home their own. The furniture was dated and a little worn, and seemed not to match. This was someone else's house at one time. I paused in the living room, listening to Danielle comment about the lack of a television set and how she missed watching cartoons. I looked at the green plaid sofa and noticed a stain above it. The stain was light brown and was seeping through the fresh paint. It fanned upward and faded near the roof. I stared at the stain until Danielle pulled me down a dark hallway and into her new room. I knew what the stain meant, and it haunted me. She had a few toys spread out on the wooden floor, and her bed was not made. Taped to the wall were several hand-drawn pictures of horses and castles. Do you like it, Mommy? She asked, but immediately continued before I could answer. Your room isn't as nice, but Daddy said he'll fix it up for you the way you like it. He says he's handy. She took me on a tour of the rest of our new house as Richard followed behind, smiling and commenting on how he would get around to it whenever there seemed need of repair. We ended in the kitchen, where several large boxes were left on the counter. We're still unpacking, Richard said, moving one of the boxes to the floor. I could tell he felt a little uncomfortable, and who could blame him? We haven't seen each other in months, and we've both been through so much. But we had each other, and we had our family back. Listen, I gotta go for a security check. He interrupted my memories. Basically, I ride around on a bike in the neighborhood and report to the checkpoint if I see anything suspicious. They ration the fuel, so they make me ride a bike around. This neighborhood has been clear, but I guess they want to make sure. They say I may even get promoted to guard the gates at some point. It's an assigned duty. Everyone has to do it. They'll probably make you do it sooner or later. So, I'll be back in an hour or two. With that, he gave me a small kiss on the forehead and brushed Danielle's hair from her face. I'll be back for supper. How about you and Mommy fix something up? They stocked the basement full for us. He turned and walked out the front door, like he did before. Except this time, I knew he would be back. Danielle's voice startled me. Mommy, I don't like the basement she said in a nervous tone. It's only a basement, nothing there, I answered as I opened the basement door and peered down the dark stairwell. No such thing as monsters, right, Mommy? 
I couldn't answer. What was I supposed to say? Everyone she knew turned into monsters. Her friends, her family, teachers, policemen, neighbors, complete strangers, and the people she trusted tried to devour her flesh. I'm going to play in the backyard on the swing, she said, skipping away. It's funny how children can adjust and accommodate to any situation. The world of rot and disease is just a few blocks away, behind a makeshift wall, and she has no worries about it. Her fear of the dark, however, yet to be conquered. I heard the screen door slam, and it startled me, as my nerves never recovered from my experiences beyond the wall. I took the next few steps slowly. In my world, I too was scared of the dark. There was just enough light to see that the basement had been fitted with a few industrial-style steel shelving units with canned food and bags of rice and flour neatly arranged. The new government, or rather, the government of the military, was taking care of Richard. They knew he was an asset to their team. Richard worked for an upstart pharmaceutical company called Dayton Life as an assistant to an immunologist. With the living dead outbreak now in its final phase, the authorities believed that they could find a way to make one immune to the virus. There were rumors that the Navajo population were biologically immune to the effects of the virus, but those were only rumors, as the west coast of the United States and much of Arizona, where the Navajo had once lived, were destroyed by our own nuclear arms. Richard was a key asset to this new world, and we were finally together, and this would be a fresh start. I walked the row of canned foods and wasn't pleased with the selection. Since this all began, I have only eaten food that was in a tin can, wrapped in plastic, or freeze-dried. And the only time I really ate well was when I was alongside the military. Food was scarce on the other side of the wall, but here, it seemed, we had enough and were promised a steady supply. By the looks of it, we had about three months' supply of food, perhaps more. My fingers went across the cans and I read them aloud. Peas, corn, creamed corn, lentil soup, vegetarian chili, peaches and syrup, white potatoes, beans and tomato sauce, beans and hot sauce, beans and maple syrup, beans with bacon, beans, 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 spaghetti and meatballs. That was the one I chose because I knew Danielle would love the sweet, sugar-filled sauce. I removed two cans and saw movement behind the third can. Perhaps it was my shadow or even my own imagination. I reached for the last can and my finger touched something wet and hairy. And then I felt a stinging pain in my finger and then my wrist. I quickly withdrew my hand, dropping the cans I had gathered and dropping the third can which I had gripped in my injured hand. Blood formed in a balloon on the tip of my finger and pumped out quite rapidly out of the tear in my wrist. I covered the spurting wound with my other hand as I looked to the source of my injury. A small rat wedged its way between the cans of beans and creamed corn and looked up at me. Its fur was matted with dry blood and its yellowed, scissor-like teeth speckled with fresh blood. My blood. And then I saw its eyes, or rather, one eye. One eye was swollen shut, dry pus crusted over a ragged fissure. The one eye spotted my movement as I stepped back, and the rat cocked its head to one side. The eye opened wider, as if to take all of my being in one glance. The eye was not black or dark, as rats' eyes are supposed to be. This eye was gray, a misty film over top the pupil. It was blind. But the rat sniffed the air and knew where I was, even as I was stumbling backward toward the rays of light filtering down the wooden stairs. It opened its mouth to reveal a gray, cantankerous tongue, and it leapt off the shelf in my direction. 
I turned, still holding my wounded hand, and ran up the stairs, slamming the door behind me. I breathed heavily and leaned against the door, sliding down along the wood until I reached the floor. I could hear the rat make its way up the stairs into the crack at the bottom of the door. It started to chew madly at the door, and its paws swept under the crack, reaching for me. I could feel my hand going numb, and my mind began to split with a sharp pain that started near the base of my skull. I pressed against the wound and lifted myself up to the kitchen sink, and turned the cold faucet on and rinsed the wound. My vision began to blur, and I steadied myself with my good hand, gripping the countertop. I lifted my head and saw Danielle on a rope swing attached to a tree. I felt different. Perhaps my initial shock was over. It was different. I couldn't help but simply stare at Danielle as she swung back and forth. I couldn't look away. I couldn't move. Her swinging was rhythmic and hypnotic. The cold water numbed the bite on my wrist and masked the pain of the open cut. The pain in my head remained and I could feel beads of sweat on my forehead and my heart began to slow. I simply stared as the sink filled with watered down blood, circling the drain. And then it was dark. I awoke on the couch, just below the stain. My vision was blurred, but I could make out Richard, sitting in a rocking chair across from my position. My hand was bandaged, and my wrists felt as if they were glued together. As I blinked and lifted my hands, I saw that they were bound by rope. Richard was drinking from a bottle of Jack Daniels. I could see the familiar label reflecting a light source from a candle that was placed on an end table next to Richard. The golden liquid sloshed as he lowered the bottle and lifted a pistol from his lap and pointed it in my direction. You're infected. He said unemotionally. A rat. You're fucking infected. He said, raising his voice slightly. Do you know what this means? Who bit you? Nobody. Where's Danielle? Safe. He answered, trying to remain steady and accurate with the pistol as it wobbled in his hand. The basement. A rat. I breathed in deep. A rat bit me. Impossible. The virus has not crossed species. I've been in the basement. There are no rats. He said, almost disgusted, and then suddenly looked away and paused. You're bleeding. I felt the drop from my nose. It was one of the symptoms and it meant that the hemorrhaging had begun. I had a few hours, maybe less, before I would die and then be reanimated as a living corpse. You know what I have to do? He said as I smeared the blood drops from my nose with the back of my hand. I began to sob, almost uncontrollably. But I love you, I simply said. He turned the gun on himself, pressing the barrel into the side of his temple. I could see tears streaming down his face, and the bottle of Jack Daniels fell to the floor, emptying its contents. Danielle needs you, I said, and he paused, and then lowered the gun. There was a thump on the door, a single thump, and not a recognizable double knock of a visitor. It echoed and alerted us both. Richard stood and went to the front door and peered through the peephole. What is it? I asked. Can't see, he said as a thumping noise came from the kitchen window. Then there were a few more thumping sounds from the other room, and a few more again on the door. What the fuck? Richard said as he whirled around and went to the kitchen. I stood up, nearly falling over, and hobbled toward the kitchen to see Richard staring blankly out the large window with the curtains pushed aside. It was dark out, too dark to make out any zombies, but as I got closer I saw what Richard was staring at. It was a bird, 
a black crow with matted feathers and its beak covered in dry, dark blood. Its eyes were dull white. Fucking hell, Richard said. It's in the animals. There were many more thumps on the windows and the crow pecked at the glass in a fury. I was still bound and very afraid. My lungs were on fire just from the short walk to the kitchen and I bent over slightly to ease the pain. That's when I saw the basement door. The crack at the bottom of the door was chewed through and jagged pieces of wood made a mess of the general area. There were a few nocturnal eyes reflecting light and they immediately scampered into the kitchen upon sensing our movement. Richard spread his legs and then jumped upon the kitchen counter. He pulled me up just as one of the rats opened its mouth and trained in on my ankle. I shrieked and nearly fell back down to the linoleum where the zombie rats, three now, were stretching up. Richard fired the pistol and missed, the round deafening us both and leaving a smoking dark hole in the floor. He opened the kitchen drawer and produced a kitchen knife and hacked away at my bounds, releasing me. We need to save Danielle, is all he said. He pulled out the entire kitchen drawer and held it above his shoulders. Just then, a siren sounded. It wailed as more thumps hit the window. Richard tossed the entire drawer downward toward the three infected rats. Knives, spoons, and other cutlery smashed into and around the rats. The drawer hit them directly, covering one and knocking two others away for a moment. Enough time to make a getaway. I leapt off the counter and toward the garage door. I was slow, and I felt a heaviness in my legs. Blood pooled in my mouth and my vision began to grow murky. Richard pushed me from behind as I opened the door to the garage. He slammed it shut just as the rats reached the threshold. The garage was dark, but I could make out the shape of a jeep. Get in, dammit, Richard said, pushing me forward once again. I opened the passenger door as Richard turned the key and revved the engine. The siren wailed and I could make out gunshots and screams in the distance. Richard placed the pistol on the dashboard and fastened my seatbelt for me as I nearly passed out, my head leaning on the side window, staring blankly at my own reflection in the glass. He placed the jeep in reverse and hit the accelerator to the floor, and the jeep revved and whined and then smashed through the garage door, sending splinters of wood flying. In reverse, we reached the street and lurched to a stop, my head swinging backward and then forward, hitting the dashboard slightly. Sorry. Richard said, placing the gear in drive and speeding down the street. I saw people in the streets, running out of their homes in panic. Birds hit our windshield and shattered the right front light. Richard swerved and nearly hit a large dog. I couldn't tell if it was infected or not as we passed it. Richard turned a corner, and then another, and my head, growing heavy, lolled from side to side. Suddenly, we came to a screeching stop, and Richard placed the pistol in my hand. Wake up! He shook me. If anything, shoot them. With that, he opened his door and ran into a house that looked similar to our old house, a two-story colonial. The pistol was heavy, and I tried raising it but could not find the strength. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw a Humvee firing a large machine gun race down the street. It turned a corner and was gone. Richard appeared with Danielle in his arms. He placed her in the back seat, and the sirens fell silent. Gunshots and several screams were in the distance. An infected bird smashed into the window on Richard's side, and Danielle screamed. I couldn't turn to hold her or to tell her everything would be all right. I was nearly frozen, my muscles locking up. Richard drove off, making several sharp turns and calculated maneuvers that rocked the jeep left and right. My vision began to blow more, and my hearing faded, but I could hear a noise in the distance. I believed it was the end. The angels call? A trumpet? 
We turned a corner and drove down a large stretch of road. Danielle was silent, or if she was saying anything, I simply could not hear. The distant noise grew louder, and it appeared to be coming from behind us. The wall was in front of us. Hold on tight, Richard said, bracing himself with two hands on the wheel. In front of us was a patchwork of the wall, a chain-link fence about ten feet high and chipboard place for reinforcement. With all the excitement, the dead on the other side were gathered, their fingers and hands stretching, longing for the living. The sound behind us grew louder and sounded now like thunder in a continuous roll. The jeep hit the fence and thrust into the mob of the undead. It punched a hole through and bounced up and over several rows of the rotting corpses. The engine whined loud as it lost traction on the wet corpses and revved into a higher RPM. As the jeep was airborne for a few seconds, it veered to the right, skidding and smashing into the corpses like fingers protruding ground beef. But just then, the jeep hit solid ground and we lurched forward. The sound of the thunder was extremely loud. It cracked the air and vibrated every cell in my body. Richard was focused on finding a route for the stragglers and the undead who were crippled and could not make it to the wall. I turned to see if Danielle was unhurt. She was crouching in her seat, hands cupped over her ears. Through the back window, I saw flames engulf the entire neighborhood. An incredible display of destruction followed. The wall collapsed, and the dead blew toward us as the shockwave hit. In an instant, the jeep was hit by the invisible shell and it sped up twice its speed, swerving left and right. Richard regained control and continued driving away, dodging obstacles, and finally turning onto pavement. Above us echoed the thunder as a series of five bombers in formation passed overhead. They're bombing it! Richard yelled loudly so I could hear. Nothing's left back there! But nothing was left for me, anyway. I was bit, infected, and would be dead in hours, perhaps minutes. Richard drove on the empty highway at a moderate pace. Both headlights were smashed out and the jeep was making a strange whining noise. The sun began to appear behind us. The early rays provided me with a brilliance of warmth. It was then I discovered I was shivering. Richard pulled the jeep over and reached across my lap and opened the passenger door. Get out, he said. I heard those words before, and I knew he meant it. Again. I turned to see that Danielle had fallen asleep. Take care of her, I said, wanting to cry, but no tears rolled down my cheeks. Richard simply stared as he unbuckled my seatbelt and once again asked me to leave. I wanted to beg him, to plead with him to keep me, to help me, to bring me somewhere where I could seek medical help, but I knew he was not going to listen. I stepped out, my legs stiff and aching. I nearly fell into the rocks on the shoulder of the road. I love you, I said, and I thought I heard him say it back, but I wasn't quite sure as he quickly closed the door and drove off. I watched the jeep for what seemed like hours, and I started to follow it, on foot. The sun was reaching its apex when I began to feel something in my stomach lurch. I was hungry. So very hungry. I lost sight of the jeep, but I thought I would eventually, somehow, reach Richard and Danielle if I just continued onward, one step at a time. Enjoyed your time with us? Please share this podcast and rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.
This episode featured The Wall, written by Christine Savoy, with voice acting by Tiana Hansen, John Savoy, Kane Wynn, Dick D, and Mayuki Sawashiro. Please check out our other fictional audio podcast, Soul One. That's S-O-L-O-N-E. It's a brand new interactive sci-fi podcast. And if you enjoy real mysteries like UFOs, the paranormal, true crime, and unsolved murders, check out Unsolved Mysteries of the World. It's available on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory.